petrol's up, the Cooper's down, the Rolling Stones yes. roll into town, yes. but Macca rocks Australia on Sunday morning. My week starts rocking with Macca on a Sunday morning. Good morning and welcome to the program. Lots of uh, interesting things this morning uh, coming up on the program. Stonemasons are acknowledged by many as being the prima donnas of the building industry, the building trade. They were the first to form unions in Australia. They agitated to get firstly the 10-hour day and then the 8-hour day. So they've been a very strong and powerful union. But you're right, it appeared to be in the 60s and 70s a dying art. We'll talk about stone, stonemasons, buildings, old buildings. When you travel around Australia, they're the things that you like when you go to Ballarat or Kalgoorlie or... Bendigo or down in Tassie uh, and you see bridges and stone bridges and lovely stone. Bi- what about Wilcannia? Wilcan- Have you been to Wilcannia? Lovely, lovely buildings. Um, that was Dr. Ross. Let's get your only... <laughs> I just can't... That's the quote of the decade, really, isn't it? That was a couple of years ago. Dr. Ross rang and said, I said, how's things for Christmas? He said, oh, great. He said, you know, let's get your illness in before the 25th. Um, and that happens, as he said, like with plumbers or builders or people are putting blinds in or whatever. Let's get your illness in before the 25th. We'll see what we can do. A, a lifetime of neglect and we'll fix it before Christmas. G'day, this is Macca. Hi, Macca. Um, my name's Jess and I'm in Broken Hill at the moment. Yes, Jess. I've, I was just ringing you to let you know that I've just completed... A little walk through Spain called the Camino de Santiago. Yes. And it's a 1,000-kilometre trek. And you did the whole lot? Yes, every millimetre. How did you get the time off, Jess, from school? Um, I'm doing distance education um, through New, a New South Wales school. Well, you certainly, are, a, you certainly were a distance, weren't you, over there? I sure was. Mm. I'm actually travelling for two years around Australia and around the world. Uh-huh. And... I've been overseas this year to Cambodia for history, Vietnam for another subject and Sri Lanka for another subject, and France for art, and Spain, and we were actually walking it so I could learn Spanish. Well, that's uh, wonderful, Jess. What year would you be in? You'd be in year nine, would you? I'm in year eight this year, so I'm 14. Uh-huh. So there you go. And so you do your, your lessons, what, whenever, by computer or something? You send your lessons uh, in, do you, when you're away? On my iPad. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. So how did you do this year, do you know? I'm, I'm sure I've done pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't got my report yet, so I'm looking forward to seeing that at least a few weeks' time. Yeah, well, I suppose it's a it's a when you think about school and sitting in a classroom with lots of other kids and stuff like that, you don't have to put up with any of that sort of stuff, do you? No, you learn so much more on the road. It's an amazing learning experience. Yeah, but you could learn. Um, I've, yeah, I've, anyway, I'll leave that. But yeah, you you learn a bit too when you have to sit with a whole lot of other people in school, don't you? You learn how to deal with people, and you know it's the uh, it's the education of the cl- of the cl- playground, I suppose. That's uh, that's always something that uh, you need to have, have too, I suppose. Yeah, but it's I have a lot of interaction with so many different people. Like on the Camino, every there's people from every country imaginable. It's absolutely an amazing experience with so many different nationalities, and it's like a big community family group. Yeah, speaking of which, where's your family, uh, Jess? Um, I'm travelling with my parents. 
Mm-hmm. And we're going around Australia and, as I said, around the world. So they're sitting here with me right now. <laughs> uh, yeah. We're actually from Coffs Harbour. Right. In New well, South Wales, and that, was that a big decision or they wanted you to do that? Or um, whose decision was it to uh, travel as you did your school? All of our decisions. But my parents believe that it is better to learn through experience as well as well, ex- yes, I'll, I'll say. Um, well, you'll be a you'll be a, a very well rounded person by the time you've, uh, you. When do you finish your peregrinations, Jess? I got another year. Another year to go. And well, we're, we're going to do two years. So yep. I've done this year, and I got next year as well. And where's next year going to be? Wherever we go, wherever. wherever it takes us. Probably we're going to keep going around Australia. We're going to go over to Laos again yeah. and go to Vietnam again. And we're probably going to go through another Camino in March uh-huh. around Easter. And we're going to do the Norte, which is a bit longer, so a bit over a 1,000 kilometres. We're probably going to go to Japan, maybe Canada. We'll, we'll see. Yeah, well, you could go and do the Bibbulmun track, although you wouldn't meet a lot of people on the Bibbulmun, which goes down to, um, I think, down to Albany mm. from Perth, or you could do the Human Hovel. Um, we actually just walked part of it, did but you? we're planning to go back over and do the whole thing. Wow. All right. Jess, keep in touch, uh, and good luck. Um, Thank and, you. And say good day to the folks. They're obviously very, um, yeah, everybody needs parents like your parents. And we listen to you every Sunday morning. <laughs> Good on you, Jess. Even well, when we're in Spain. In Spain. On yeah. the on the iPad. Good on you. Yeah. You should have rung us. When you're in somewhere interesting uh, next year and you're on the on the Wallaby, give us a ring and say day, okay? I sure will. All right. Good on you, Jess. Good luck. Thank you. See ya. See ya. Bye. Morning, Macca. Morning. Time from uh, Seabrook in Melbourne. Just on my way up the Goulburn Highway. Chippenham to pick up a load of oil to take down to uh, Warnable to make some uh, baby formula. Just thought I'd give you a ring with a bit of a weather update. Yep. The uh, Goulburn Rivers, I reckon, has probably risen five feet since yesterday morning. Um, it's probably not far off breaking its banks there on the Hume Highway. Uh, the rain stopped here and it's looking fairly good up here towards Shepparton. The The sun's even coming out, but it was uh, raining pretty heavy when we left Melbourne this morning and was pretty heavy yesterday, all day yesterday, down and, uh, up here in the up here around Shepparton and that. And uh, so, yeah, I think we've had enough rain for a while. Tiny, uh, you, so you're picking up oil. What sort of, where do you get the oil from? What sort of oil is it for the milk powder? Uh, we pick up oil up out of uh, Newmerca, which is uh, just like a, like a canola sort of oil and it, goes back down to, oh, it goes to a lot of dairies throughout Victoria and gets uh, gets put into the milk powder that goes overseas for the baby formula, most of all. All right. Um, unfortunately, we uh, work around cows, and cows are pretty selfish. They don't know about having Sundays off or <laughs> public holidays or Christmas Day or anything like that. So uh, No, they don't get any holidays, poor, poor old cows. No. No, no, they no. work. They're seven day a week workers. The cows. That's it. Yeah. So unfortunately, we've got to go to work. So, but there's less idiots on the road this time of day on a Sunday. So, it's probably good. Yeah, I'd say so. All right, yeah. John. Well, nice but, to talk um, to you. Um, you uh, so you're heading back down to Melbourne now, are you? Or? No, I'm headed up towards 
uh, New Merca now up to towards Shepherd, and now I'm just coming past Nagambi. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty big day. It's about 958 return trip for the day. So um, yeah, it's a fairly old, long day. Getting also, harder as we get older. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's nearly Christmas, Tiny. It's nearly Christmas. It is. I can't wait. Yeah, it's uh, nice to have a day or two off. You got you take holidays or? Oh, uh, yeah. I promised my kids probably 20 years ago that I'd never, ever work Christmas Day or Boxing Day. So, yeah, normally cook up a, cook up a big feast because I'm a chef by trade. So Really? We get the spit roast going and we have a big family feed. And, yeah, oh. I actually... Uh, I think I'm one of the only ones left that actually looks forward to Christmas Day. Yeah, I do too. And, uh, I think I think that's, yeah. yeah, that's I'd like to be at your place, Tiny. Um, I think we all I think we all sigh relief when it's at the end at the end of the day. But I still love I love cooking up food for all the family. And uh, what's your yeah. what's your special dish? Do you have a special dish for Christmas? Oh, I just love cooking up some roast pork and roast turkey on the spit roast, oh. and uh, you know. I think this year we'll do roast veggies and all that plum pudding oh, and love it, love it, love it, yeah. love it. Yeah, you know yeah. you can keep your prawns and fish and lobsters. Give, oh, give me a so ba- overrated. Yeah, give me a baked dinner any day. Yeah, you that's right. Beauty. Unlimited amount of crackle that beats prawns any day. Hey, <laughs> I'll say, Tony, I'm coming to your joint. <laughs> Good on you, Maga. You just send your just email your address through. I'll just bring you know, fifteen or twenty friends down. Okay. Yep, no worries. Merry Christmas. Good on your time. Thanks, Maga. Have a good day. See, See ya. Good day, Maka. This is Tony Ailing calling you from the motor vessel Flying Fish on the far northern Great Barrier Reef. Oh, Tony Ailing. Good morning, mate. How are you? Great. To w- tell me what you're doing there on the uh, the far north of the Great Barrier Reef. Flying fish. Did you say flying fish vessel? Yes, it's. Uh, a very large vessel, the Flying Fish, which has been donated to the uh, expedition that we're on. And we've been up here for about three weeks uh, with an organisation called Great Barrier Reef Legacy, and we're on an expedition searching for the super corals. And, uh, Tony, what are, what are super, uh, fill us in, what are super corals? Well, it's uh, quite a story, Macca, but uh, the, your listeners are probably aware that there was a couple of very bad coral bleaching events caused by the uh, warm water temperatures in 2016 and earlier this year, and that killed a lot of coral in this far northern section of the Great Barrier Reef. And so we're up here looking for corals that survived this bleaching and sampling them and getting specimens and things like that and seeing why they survived and and uh, things like that. And I'm here to uh, sort of hold up the flag for the fishes on the reef, see how they've fared following the bleaching. And, and how, have the, how have they been doing? Well, it's been a really interesting trip. We've got um, the boat is is a luxury uh, charter vessel or private vessel, which is available for charter. So it's not designed to hold the number of people we've got on it. So we've been uh, sort of virtually camping on the boat. (laughs) And the crew has been marvellous supporting what we're doing with a couple of small dive boats. 
and uh, we visited about uh, 15 reefs over the last few weeks and checked out the corals and where we've seen some devastated reefs from the coral bleaching where a lot of the coral is uh, dead and but we've also there's been hope in that we've seen quite a lot of reefs which are still in really good condition especially the outer barrier reefs that's the ones that are out on the edge of the shelf in the clear coral seawater over and you're trying to work out, I suppose, why that is. Um, it's like, I suppose, like sometimes when you see a bushfire go through places and burns everything and there's a house here and a house there still standing and everything else is devastation. Yes, that's right, Macca. We've, uh, we're trying to figure out why uh, the corals survived where they have and also on the badly damaged reefs there are surviving corals, so we've been sampling them and uh, trying to figure out uh, what it is about them that's let them survive. And we've got a number of organisations involved, including the Australian Institute of Marine Science. So there's, there's a lot of scientific expertise on board, and it's all being supported by Great Barrier Reef Legacy as a sort of a, a sharing, uh, crowd, crowd-funded and tourist industry-funded organisation. Uh, Tony, give us an idea of what it's like um, day to day on the uh, on the flying fish. It sounds it sounds like um, yeah, it'd be nice to put a few photos up on our um, Facebook page, and I'd like to see that too. Well, your listeners can check it, and you can check out what we've been up to if you look on the go and like the Great Barrier Reef Legacy Facebook page, and every day they've been posting. Uh, videos of what we've been up to. We've got a cameraman on board. We've also got an ABC reporter on board. So um, we've been uh, keeping up with the media side of uh, what we're doing and trying to get it out there in the world so people can check it out. But yes, it's been uh, quite a trip. We've had mostly very good weather. We've had some amazing experiences. We've dived with... uh, We've seen whales and dolphins. Uh, we've dived with different sorts of sharks. Uh, we've dived with turtles. And it's been uh, really an amazing experience. This is a very remote part of the world, Macca, as you're probably aware. And uh, most of the time we couldn't see land. Uh, we very rarely saw another boat. So it's uh, quite amazing. We get up and go diving every day in the small boats and uh, check things out, what's happening. So, and well, where exactly uh, are you geographically, Tony? Would give people an idea, what, off Cairns or off uh, Cooktown or where? No, it's all way north of Cooktown. We've been from, from Torrey Strait down to Princess Charlotte Bay uh, is the reef area we've been looking at. That's called the far northern section of the Great Barrier Reef. And it's it's quite a remote area. There's a lot of crocodiles. We've seen crocodile tracks on the beaches of some of the caves we've been diving around. So it's, uh, you've got to be a bit careful, that's for sure. Yeah, but out, out there, out, uh, a fair way off the coast, do crocodiles go out that far or they mostly stick around the coast? 
Oh, no, they're quite happy going 50-plus miles offshore, and they've wow. been seen out on the Outer Barrier Reef, <sighs> out in the really clear water. Dear, oh, dear. We just steamed in, last night we steamed in from a reef called Great Detached Reef, which is near Rain Island, and we've come in to one of the coastal reefs in uh, Shelburne Bay, or one of the small island reefs in Shelburne Bay, so we're going to send a drone up to have a look for crop tracks on the the beach before we go diving. Yeah, when I went when I went up to Nolanboy, um we uh a bloke was Dave, took us out to uh, one of the beaches there called Little Bondi, I think they call it. And anyway, so I got out of the car and jumped in, he says, Oh Macri says we usually throw the dog in first to see if there's any crocodiles around <laughs> 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 Which made yes, me feel really well, good. Certainly are. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah, so it's uh, been a, a wonderful trip. It's a real privilege to get up here. I haven't been up and di- diving in this far northern section for about thirty odd years, so it's been wonderful to be part of it and to help the wonderful work that uh, Great Barrier Reef Legacy are doing. It's all uh, a. Um, not-for-profit organisation that is supported by industry and crowdfunding, so it's wonderful to be part of it. Tony, it's great to talk to you this morning. Uh, I should tell you, your daughter is uh, a wonderful little worker here at the uh, at your ABC, and um, I'll say good day to her. She probably might even be listening this morning, although she lives in the city now, so she probably sleeps in of a Sunday morning. <laughs> Most definitely, Macca. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, All right. well, lovely to talk to you, and good luck to everyone. Good on you, Tony. Thanks, mate. Bye. Uh, bye. Our uh, weather and fruit correspondent and flower correspondent uh, from Shepherd and Malcolm Blake's on the line. Good morning, Malcolm. Yeah, morning, Maka. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Probably a little uh, drier than you. You've had a bit of uh, weather around Shep. Uh, it's just been a bit damp, yes, mm. uh, depending on where you were as to how much you got because it was all sort of thunderstorms. Mm. Um, here at my place, we've had just over 75 mils over the three days, which wasn't too bad comparing us to, say, um, Chuka, which has had uh, they got 120 mils in, in, um, in, in one 24-hour period, and that's only 90 k's away. Oh. Then you go across to the hills over in Strathbogies, and they've had their 200 mils, depending on where you are. And um, when it comes to flooding, um, a lot of that water, particularly from the Strathbogies, has to come down through Shepparton because it comes down through the Seven and Castle Creeks and goes into the Goulburn. Mm. Uh, and also anything that comes out of Banella comes down through the Broken, and, and that all meets in Shepparton too. But I think I looked at the river yesterday, I had to go to Melbourne, and um, down at Arcadia, apparently they had 120 mils on Friday too. But it was very wet down there, but the, there's still plenty of room in the Goulburn at the moment for, for all this water to come through. But it's just interesting that we don't necessarily have to have all the rain here, we can be flooded out from rain that comes out of the hills and that happened back in 93 when um, Benalla had three foot of water go down the main street and then it came down through here and um, and flooded us out and it's uh, here on the news you know, about the cherries well the cherry crop I think is going to be um, well I'm not going to say wiped out but it's going to be absolutely devastated in, in a lot of areas, particularly around here mm. um, I know one orchard was debating the other day whether they go and and pick early uh, and pack them or whether to sort of wait 
and the, I think the decision was um, we'll leave it alone. Yeah, well, that's, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you this morning about because uh, uh, I know the fruit season about to start. Cherries are on now, of course, and and uh, it'll be um, apricots soon, I suppose, and then you know all the other stone fruit around about now, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. There's been brown rot warnings out um, for the last week. As soon as the humid weather comes in, it affects those types of the, the stone fruits. It affects them uh, terribly. Yeah. Uh, and of course, the cherries, the the, the, the rainwater gets into the t- top of the cherry where the stem goes in and sits there, and that causes the cherry to split. Well, of course, it's got no no value to anybody then because that's when it when it rots mm. and absolutely wipes the, the crop out. And I saw a um, picture on TV last night. I don't know where it was, but the mould had already got in, and you know the cherries, of course, they just just drop off the tree, and so there goes the crop and. That uh, the poor orchardist who has those sorts of crops, well, he's, he's done his income for for the year, depending on whether he's just a straight cherry grower or whether he's you know, got multiple um, varieties of, of fruit in. But it's just absolutely devastating. And, and also that the grain growers can't get onto their, um, their crops now to, to uh, harvest the, the wheat and the barley and those sorts of things. It's just too wet. They, the tractors who are there, uh, their headers are get bogged. They're yeah. going... Going like madmen on um, yep. Thursday and Friday, I noticed in the paddocks, um, trying to get as much off as they possibly could. Yeah, it's a <laughs> people say it all the time, don't they? Who'd be a farmer? I mean, and just something like that, you know, you never know. It's going to be either torrential rain, which flattens crops, or um, it's a frost, a late frost in you know November, and that's that's happened before, and even in December, all those sort of things. It's uh, well. Look, that's what we had this year, very, very late frosts um, into uh, November, which uh, affected some of the uh, canola crops um, so, and also some of, the, um, some of the grain crops got hit by frost. So those poor fellas got hit with that and then um, along comes the rain and uh, that does more damage. So uh, who, as you say, who'd be a farmer? They're, they're the biggest gamblers in the world. You don't have to go to the casino. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I, I, I won't ask you how the flowers are doing. I suppose they get well, knocked around with this too, don't they? Well, <laughs> I'm sort of, I've, I'm got out of the flower industry. We we, uh, we closed our shop, unfortunately, after 33 and a half years. But most of the flowers these days are grown under cover. There's very, very few flowers that are grown outside. Only the, I can only think of probably chrysanthemums that are grown at Mother's Day. Everything else is grown... Um, either in a glass house or the plastic igloos or some sort of um, shade, so they don't get knocked around as much by uh, by the weather. The only thing that affect them is too much heat uh, in the summer these days. Uh, and even some of the bigger fellas here would have some sort of cooling device um, to try and keep things cool. But yeah, the the, um, the, the flower industry uh, wouldn't be affected by this by any means. Malcolm, you'll probably find that uh, the price of cherries will be uh, up, uh, look, up uh, through the roof. Price, price of cherries will will be um, astronomical. Almost to say unaffordable. I'd say by you know, well, very, most, very shortly. I always think that most of them go to uh, go go to China and Japan anyway, don't they? That's been a big industry. Well, they, they've just got new protocols, so they can send them to China, um, and there'd be some going out to all sorts of overseas countries. I know that one of the orchards here was that uh, they're sending them into. Um, I think the white chews were going into Thailand and those sorts of places. And uh, I know at one stage they were sending some, just prior to Christmas, they'd send some into uh, Russia, some would go into the UK. And I know um, my friend used to say, well, he'd sent cherries into Harrods. He was pretty proud of himself. But <laughs> <laughs> you, don't, you, don't get a, you don't get a more flasher store than Harrods. No, exactly. 
Um, so yeah, a lot of those. Um, con- I don't know whether they've just signed up contracts, but a lot of that expectation this year, I think, would um, would have dissipated because the, the, the cherries just aren't going to be around because the, the rain's just absolutely wrecked wrecked everything in that department. It's uh, it's absolutely devastating for those those poor growers. Yeah. So, so but um, you know, it's, the thunderstorm sort of started a week ago. Um, we had a bolt of lightning. It was the closest lightning I've ever seen to me. I actually <laughs> threw my arms up over my head. That's how close it was. Wow. And that was last Sunday afternoon, and I thought I'd better go inside. But it, it actually blew the pole fuses out on the, um, the pole at our front gate to, to, uh, for electricity. And That's scary. That, that, it, it was, yeah, very, very scary. Did your hair stand up on your end? Did you look like Yahoo uh, Serious with your hair uh, sticking uh, up? I don't have that sort of problem anymore, Mac. And I, it, all, it all fell out. All right. <laughs> there you go. All right. So no, it was a, it was a bit scary. So yeah, that's uh, that's the way it is. Yeah, it's so I've, Go on, sorry. Quick. I've changed changed a career. I've now gone into um, work for a real estate agent um, doing rural properties. So. That's a bit of a change. Yeah, well, good luck with that, Malcolm. Nice to talk to you. Um, good to talk to uh, you. Have, have a merry Christmas, mate, and thanks. You, you, for... you too, and you, you and Lee and all the crew there. She's a bit worried before that she woke me up, but now I was listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> good on you, Malcolm. Good on you. Thanks, Macca. Bye. Thanks. Bye. Good day. This is Macca. Hello, Macca. How you yeah, yeah, good. Thank you. Yeah, you know we're up uh, out of Swan Hill. We're on the Murray River, and. Uh, We've had quite a bit of rain here, so now our job this morning is to go out and spray the orchard so we don't get brown rot come up in the fruit and uh, wreck all the fruit. Yeah, well, I was just talking to um, Malcolm in Shepparton about that, and they've had some problems with that. Um, you, you've been wet there and uh, humid, have you? Yeah, well, well, now we've got a beautiful day here because the sun's come out and there's not a cloud in the sky, but because that means all this moisture is going to evaporate and go up and take into the sky, and on the way up, it'll pass the fruit. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, so you've got a spray for that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've got the fungicide sprays that you put on for that. So um, we, when we have a rain event, we put it on. And because we had 70 mil up here just a couple of weeks back, and now we just got another 50-odd uh, yesterday. So there's a lot of water laying around. And the Murray River has all got to finish up down there, and it's running uh, pretty high here at the moment. So uh, it's going to be interesting in another couple of weeks when the water gets here. Oh, so Dennis, now is this your place or you spray professionally or what? No, 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 I just work. I've just been in the orchard industry for uh, 30 odd years. I uh, ring you up a few times before early usually when we start picking, but I've been very, very busy. So uh, <laughs> I haven't really had the time to, uh, to give you a call. Oh, you've got to, but you've got to ring, Dennis, because you've got to let Australia know what's going on, mate. What's the crop look like this year generally? Look, you've, you've been around 30 years. You know a good crop from a bad crop. Is it looking all right this year? Oh, yeah, mate. Well, this is one of the best crops we've ever had. We've, uh, yeah, like our fruit goes down or pack out in Melbourne because the orchard I work on has got uh, other orchards and it's all packed down in Melbourne and they're saying it's the best fruit they've ever got. So they're really happy with it. Yeah, it's, uh, and that's what I, I love. I love Christmas. The more, the older I get, the more I love Christmas. And, um, and one of the things I love about it is cherries and stone fruit and apricots and all that sort of stuff. There's, I don't know, there's something renewing and wonderful about uh Christmas time and this time of the year season? Oh, just imagine living, oh, well, not that I don't live in the orchard, but working on the orchard, mate, it's fresh fruit every day. Like, I start at 5 o'clock in the morning and I can go out, grab something straight off the tree and eat. I'm 72, I'm still working full time. 
I'm healthy, and uh, yeah, I just reckon 30 years of eating all this fruit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming. We're all coming. We're all coming. Down. We'll come down and and join you. Who was I talking to earlier this morning? Who was? Uh, it was uh, was it Tyne, wasn't it? In Kell, uh, he was a truck driver. He's picking up oil for, uh, for for making milk powder. And he said, "But I'm a chef, really." He says, "And we just, you know, I cook up some lovely crackling and pork." And he started talking about turkey and roast dinner and roast vegetables. <laughs> and I was, so we're going to drop into his place. But then we'll come and see you, Dan. Yeah, yeah, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of fruit here, I can tell you. All and, right. Uh, yeah. All right, mate. Good to talk to you, mate. I'd better get busy. You're on, Thanks, Thanks, mate. Thanks, Dennis. Keep, keep it up, mate. So, well, okay, when we, uh, like I said, I started this 30 odd years ago, we travelled to Australia. Yeah. And uh, we fruit picked all over the place. And uh, we come back, my wife went back to uni and she's uh, fully fed. She's got a master's in sustainable agriculture. But the thing was, wherever we went, Sunday morning, we're going to listen to Macca. So we had the radio on and everybody, and it just made you feel like a little bit like home. <laughs> so uh, I just want to say, you, that's the sort of job you do. It's really, really good. And uh, all the people that travel around doing the, the seasonal work and all that, they all listen to you because, as I say, it makes you feel a bit like home. So you do a fantastic job, mate. Well, you make us feel good too. Good on you, Dan. Good on you, mate. Catch ya. See you, bye. Susan's in Mwilumbar. Morning, Susan. Good morning, Macca. How are you? Well, thank you, Macca. That's good. <laughs> um, I love Christmas too, just like you. And you keep singing along with those songs too. <laughs> Brings them to life, Macca. Well, exactly. Well, I don't know about that, but I, I, yeah, I just love to sing along, and there's some great little songs. We're coming to my Willembar, Susan. I'm hoping, yes. I'm oh. looking forward to seeing you, Macca. We're oh. very grateful to be coming along to us, and Th- I'm hoping you bring along your guitar. We're going to have a bit of a sing-along. I will. I will. <laughs> I'll do that. Uh, on Thursday at the Regional, ga- um, no, the regional Museum. That's, That's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a bit of a museum piece, so I'll be there. <laughs> I, I, I've never, I've never been to the museum, uh, the uh, museum in Mwilumba, but I'll be there. It's in Queensland Road. That's right. Yes. Yep. So twelve o'clock, you say back up. Yeah, you've had a bit of rain up there, or what? Yes, we have, and mm. um, it's still cloudy. Can't see Mount Warning or the Border Ranges, but um, the sun's was a little while ago. Tried, yeah, still is. Tried to shine through Macca. No, that's It'll good. be fine for Thursday for no, sure. That's good, <laughs> but um, yeah, looking back to March, then it was ter- a terrible time, wasn't it? That's right. Yes. That's Look, a- some's have recovered, some still recovering, and others will never recover. So, yes, that's the way it is. But, yeah. Yeah. All right. And then we're off to uh, Lismore on, on Sunday to do a program up at the Regional Gallery up there. Yes, yes have a great time with the arts yeah. in Lismore this weekend and continuing on. So, um, I hope lots of people turn up. I see, hope so too. Susan, I'll see you in Mwilumba. See you then, Macca. God bless you. <laughs> Good on and you. I listened to you say right from the word go this morning. The wife in my ear you were saying, I suppose no one's up yet. And I thought, well, I'm not up, but I'm listening. <laughs> And I never got to ring you too. I was having my jam and toast. Yeah. Armalade, homemade, not by me. Oh. Beautiful lady rang you from um, Ronsonson. And I thought, how gorgeous was that? So yeah, she was lovely, wasn't it? Well, it's, show off, yeah. it's a little cornucopia of people, isn't it? Doing all it's, sorts of stuff on the Barrier you? Reef and scientists and, and blokes who grow stuff and blokes who spray and truck drivers and all sorts of people. And, and Susan in Mwilumbar just makes my morning, Sue. <laughs> Thank you. And people who yodel, I'm not going to try it at home either. <laughs> okay, Mac, I'll see you Thursday. See ya. God bless you. Oh, Thank you, Mac. Bye-bye. I had an interview on Alan Jones, and I was fascinated um, with uh, 
the um, the topic, which is sandstone. Ron Powell is a sandstone consultant, I suppose, and Mr. Tamburis is a pro- project man- manager. Um, but they're talking about sandstone and sand uh, stonemasons, all that sort of thing. Come and come and meet them. Now, tell me about stonemasons, because I, I I spoke to an old bloke uh, a couple of months ago up in Blackhall, and he was uh, where was he from? Kelly was from. Kabawi in South Australia and he was restoring a church and he said it's a labour of love, he said young blokes don't want to do it he said I've got no fingerprints so the cops will never get me because um, he's picking up his stone all the time. How does it go getting uh, stonemasons these days? Stonemasons are acknowledged by many as being the prima donnas of the building industry, the building trade. They were the first to form unions in Australia they agitated to get firstly the 10 hour day and then the 8 hour day so they've been a very strong and powerful union but you're right it appeared to be in the 60s and 70s a dying art. Public Works at that stage had two blokes about to retire and a young bloke called Alfie Perez they just engaged from Portugal. At that stage we realised that while sandstone was wonderful, 100 years on like the Lansbump, the overhanging elements were crumbling so we needed to um, do something about it. So Public Works hired George Proudman as a master mason. George set up um, a TAFE course, an apprenticeship firstly and then a TAFE course. One of his students Diane Kingsford-Smith of the aeronautical fame was one of his first students and, and was the uh, first teacher of stonemasonry at Miller TAFE and since then public works have trained more than 60 stonemasons. A lot of those now are, are off in industry generally so there's a capacity in industry you look at buildings like the Queen Victoria building you'll often see some scaffolding around it now they're gradually working their way and around and restoring bits and pieces that do show age. One of the reasons why we want stone from Piermont. There's a document that directs heritage conservation in Australia called the Borough Charter. Probably three lines. It says you replace as little as possible, but as much as is necessary. So we don't want to go willy-nilly and start changing a lot of it. It also says that if you know the source of the original material and you can get access to that source again, that's what you use. So using Piermont stone on buildings that were built from Piermont stone is absolutely the right answer. And they said, is that true? I heard as a young boy that Sydney was built on a sandstone shelf. Is that sort of right? The sandstone, that um, Hawkesbury sandstone deposit, goes almost from Nowra to Newcastle and up to the mountains. It's an enormous area, and it's some about four or five kilometres deep, the, the stone. It's just an enormous resource of stone. You travel around Australia a bit, Ron, I suppose, do you? Yes, uh, and, and in the state in particular, when I was working directly for Public Works, the Minister's Stone Program conserved buildings mostly in Sydney, but Wilcannia had a wonderful set of buildings and we were building a new hospital there and adding to the existing hospital buildings. So we needed some stonemasons to go out there and repair some of the stonework and do the, the pointing of the stone, that is the, uh, the mortar in between the stones. And we had a, a local employment cooperative there and we were able to train three of the indigenous chaps living in the town who did a lot of the pointing for us. But whilst we were out there, you look at these set of stone buildings almost in the middle of nowhere no one could really tell me why. My speculation was, and no one wanted to really disagree with it, that it's uh, the, the paddle steamers used to come all the way up there from Adelaide and these buildings were where they had toll collection points, there was a customs house, there was a police station, a courthouse, and the buildings were built in the style of Adelaide buildings. So I asked the locals if they knew where the stone came from. Someone had a bit of an idea that someone had told him out on a property about 10 or 12 um, miles out of town. So we went up there and there was a depression in the, in the ground. There was a big old river red gum growing in it. So we could tell that it was probably 70 or 80 years since anything had happened there. And he said, look at this. These are chips of stone. This is where the stonemasons had chipped away. A bit more research found that there were about 
12 or 15 timber buildings they'd erected right on the top of this quarry. So they quarried the stone, worked on it, dragged it in and built this wonderful collection of sandstone buildings in Wilcannia. I love Wilcannia. I reckon it's a lovely, lovely town on the bend in the mm. Darling. Mm. and those, Yeah, mm. and those lovely buildings. Mm. The other thing that my stonemason friend that I met up in Blackall said that all his work these days is in restoring old buildings and that's because I suppose they're 100, 200 years old now and they need work. That has been the case. George Proudman's mantra was Sydney at one time had an international reputation as a sandstone city. Surely we can start to regain that. And Barangaroo, I think, showed a lot of people that you can actually build in sandstone. And these techniques of cutting wheels, you're seeing sandstone used in building blocks um, one example, up the Richmond Road where all those new subdivisions are occurring, sandstone's being used as the retaining walls forming the edges. So in big blocks like that, it's actually cheaper than concrete. If you were to form up mass concrete in a block that size, we can now produce sandstone at that price. And people are starting to realise, hey, this is a material that's now affordable once again. I think it's the mass scale of this um, enterprise that's, that's demonstrated. Uh, it's a resource you needn't gouge up. Let's put it to better uses. If people wanted to build a house of sandstone, would that cost a lot of money? It kind of would in some way, purely on the basis of making sure that uh, uh, you've got to seal the house where back in the day people were not as fussy about the type of finish they had. Um, The building restrictions and the codes that are out there today I think would actually make it a little bit more expensive in that sense. But overall, it's the perfect home, as I've showed you out the front here. What a beautiful house is out there. Cool in the summer. Mm, Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. William (laughs) and Ron, lovely to meet you, and thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. you. Good on you. G'day, this is Macca. G'day, this is Christian. Hi, Christian. Hi. Where are you, Christian? I am in Auckland in New Zealand. Wow. Tell me, uh, tell me all about it. Tell me what's your story. What are you doing, Christian? Um, I am. We moved to um New Zealand because my mum she got a job here, and we we're gonna move to Queensland because my dad has gotten a job in Queensland. I see. There you go. So when you, you're coming back to live, you were living in Australia, right? And then now you're living in New Zealand, but you're coming back to Australia. Is that the story? Yes, it is. So we moved from Manly to um, Ballarat to Dubbo and now to Auckland and we're coming to Queensland. Wow. Are you excited about that, Christian? Yes, I am. Uh-huh. And how old are you, Christian? I'm nine years old. Right. And and whereabouts in Queensland did you say you're going to? The Gold Coast. Oh, to the Gold Coast. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, so that'll be good. And what's your dad do? What sort of a job did you, does your dad got there? Um, He is a general manager here. All right. At, ge- a, at a hotel. Okay. Um. Uh, well, that'll be interesting, Christian. You'll have to, um, yeah, adjust, I suppose. How long have you been living in, in uh, Auckland? For a year. For a year. Oh, well. Um, are you looking forward to coming back to Australia? Yes, I'm very excited because I can't wait to see my family and catch up with my friends. Oh, there you go. Well, that'll be good. Yeah, it's just like, um, and it's like, nice to move around. You'll have all that experience about living. What's it like living in Auckland for a nine-year-old? Um, well, I do have lots of friends here and I am going to miss them, 
but I have enjoyed it in New Zealand here. Yes. It's a, ni- it's a nice place, and it was cold in winter, but it's sunny because we're heading back. Yes, exactly. All right. Um, yeah, well, you won't be so cold on the, on the Gold Coast, I suppose, but uh, and maybe um, we'll get to meet you, Christian, sometime. I'll bump into you when I'm on the Gold Coast. Um, yeah. And um, that'll be nice. You look me up and uh, we'll get together, okay? Yeah. All Thank right. You, All right. Well, you keep in. When you get back to when you when will you be in Australia? Um. Well, we fly off on the fifteenth. Fifteenth of December. We go to Dubbo for Christmas, Sydney for New Year, and then we'll go to Queensland. Wow! What an adventure. Christian's lovely, lovely. Good, yeah. Good stuff, mate. All right. Keep in touch. And uh, yeah, all the best. Thank you, Mecca. Okay. Bye. Bye.